Why does the Bible describe Jesus as a substitute? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hear of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Brian DeBozik, Managing Editor of the Gospel Project, and with me is Aaron Armstrong, our brand manager. So Aaron, today we get to talk about this wee little subject of Christ being substitute and what that means. I'm, I'm sure this is going to be a quick, easy discussion. Oh, absolutely. You know, this is a total layup for us, um, <laughs> which I'm excited about. Um, you know, I'm also very excited because, you know, the week that this airs, we are coming right into Easter. And so, so perfect timing. It couldn't, it's like we planned it. It's so. like God is providential. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, but, um, this, this particular doctrine, this, this essential truth of the Christian faith is one that is foundational to what we are celebrating this weekend, um, as individual Christians and as uh, believers, as congregations around the world um, throughout space and time. Um, And and the great thing is, as we all know, this this celebration this year is so different because of social distancing and groups not being able to meet on church campuses. But man, what we're going to talk about today stands. It is unchanged, is undiminished. It is just as glorious, just as beautiful, just as important, whether it's a family around a dinner table reading uh, the gospel narrative of the resurrection of Jesus or uh, a several thousand person church gathered singing um, at the top of their lungs, the glories of Christ. This truth that undergirds all of that conduct is just as wonderful. So um, I'm grateful that we have the chance to talk about this. So as always, why don't you get us started? Uh, go ahead and read the uh, essential doctrine as we provide it in, in the resources, and then we'll go from there. Sounds good. All right. So um, at the heart of the atonement is Jesus Christ substituting himself for sinners as he died on the cross. This truth is seen against the backdrop of the Old Testament sacrificial system, which provided a picture of humanity's need for sin to be covered and guilt to be removed by an innocent sacrifice. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with humankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience and in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of humanity from sin. All right. As always, I ask you to kind of simplify this. There are times like this one, I feel a little bit bad about it because, man, that's a beautiful chunk of text in that paragraph that all matters. Uh, But if you were to try to simplify this doctrine down, boil it down into a sentence or so, how would you do that, Aaron? Sure. Um, Well, the simplest way that I would describe this is, is that Jesus, as our substitute, is the one who paid the penalty of sin in our place. Yeah. And again, that, that paragraph has some other really important details to add to that, but that that's a good way just to kind of think about it and, and, and get us started. So 
let, let's look, where do we see this in, in, in scripture? Where do we see this doctrine? And I will steal your thunder because the last several episodes, especially the answer has been all throughout. And it's still true. It's still true. <laughs> um, <laughs> this one is all throughout and, and let's just hit a few highlights of it being all throughout. Right. So uh, Genesis 22 is, is one of the earliest ones that we can point to, although you could make again, a case for earlier in, say, for example, uh, Genesis chapter three, when yeah. uh, when God provides clothing for Adam yep. and Eve from the from the skin of an animal, um, well, what happened to that animal? That animal exactly. was killed. So, but we, but the Bible doesn't explicitly call that one out. So it's one that we want to be wise about. It's it's an important reference point, but it's not one that we want to hang our hats on. Yeah. Now, one that we can do so with is Genesis 22. And so the ram that was provided as the substitute for Isaac. This one is super on the nose because yes. I because God was God had asked Abraham to take Isaac up onto up, up to a place where where he would show him and sacrifice him. And this was shocking because Isaac was this child of uh, this promised child that God had had said that he was going to have that he waited over 25 years for. And um, at this point, he was at least 12 years old, if not older. Um, And so so that's something that we have to remember, too, that like he carried the wood by himself, which meant he was strong enough to do that. So and he he kind of understood what was going on when he's getting on, when he's being tied up and placed on the, on the yeah, altar he's like, Wait as a well. I'm seeing everything we need for a sacrifice here, but one thing. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and so this is a significant thing. It's also one of those passages in scripture that um, you read. And I, I know so many people um, who question challenge deny the christian faith they actually point to, to this moment as um as an objection against god's good character yeah and and meanwhile and and the reason for that is is because unless you have the full picture of scripture this moment actually doesn't make any sense yeah, I had an intro to religion professor in college, my undergrad, who was she was actually a humanist. And uh, so as we're going through the different religions and so forth, all the other religions, for the most part, she found beauty in. And then we got to Christianity and she just torched it. And I still remember her. And this is what, 30 years ago. I still remember her using this as supposedly proof that uh, God sanctions child sacrifice. Um, again, totally misunderstanding, uh, the, the picture that God was, was portraying here and and the beauty of it. When you do see the full picture, Hebrews, of course, gives us commentary on this. All of scripture gives us commentary. The gospel does, but to see what God was doing in this is just, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another one, um, that I would say is again, kind of on the nose. It's, it's one that, it shouldn't surprise you to see on a uh, in a list like this, um, but really is is uh, exits and, and in particular a couple of key points. One being the uh, the actual event of 
the first Passover, the final plague, the, the death of all the firstborn. So a lamb was sacrificed, and this lamb was... Um, and so every household would be visited by death um, if they did not have the blood of this spotless lamb painted on their doorposts. And this was commemorated every year in remembrance of God's rescue of his people throughout the Old Testament and in and right up until the uh, right up until the actual death of Jesus. Um, yeah. And modern Jews still perform uh, still remember this in a certain respect, but they they don't sacrifice anymore because they have no temple. Yeah, so I mean you have again this the, these pictures that are so clear um, and, and that takes us to all the sacrifices really in Leviticus. It prescribed different sacrifices, the uh, the scapegoats on the day of atonement, perhaps the most clear, but all these sacrifices pictured a future sacrifice and a complete sacrifice that was to come in Jesus. All these other sacrifices were incomplete. They were um, pictures of what was needed, a greater sacrifice. Um, and they were short term and so forth. And animals are not sufficient to pay for the sins of people. So again, what God is doing is giving us these pictures in the Old Testament of substitute, imperfect substitute then, and the perfect substitute to come. You know, we read about him more in Isaiah 53, the one who would be pierced for our transgression. So the Old Testament, just tons of pictures uh, and prophecies of this. How about a couple of New Testament ones? Yeah. Uh, so one of those would be, um, would actually be John 316, uh, which we know f- uh, so well. For God loved the world in this way, that he sent his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is um, just a massive, massive moment in Scripture, and that's um, and and that's one that we can't overlook. Another yeah. one in the New Testament, of course, is Romans five um, that at just the right time Jesus died for um, for those who are helpless, those who are yeah. ungodly sinners like us. Um, and you see that in Romans three. You see that really all through the first ten chapters of. Romans. It's all an, uh, a very lengthy exposition of this whole, this whole yeah. event and what it means. Um, you can look at Hebrews as well. And um, again, I think we've mentioned it on a, on a past episode a long, long, long time ago. But one of the things that's worth mentioning about Hebrews is Hebrews is basically the New Testament commentary on Leviticus. And so... <laughs> Um, if you read Leviticus, go back and read Hebrews and then read Leviticus again. And it's yeah. going to help you understand just the beauty of what Christ did. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, you, you look at, at Paul's epistles, of course, and while many parts of his epistles, he's dealing with like Corinthians, he's dealing with some issues in the church, but all throughout it, he weaves this gospel narrative and this idea of substitution. So it is not surprising because all of scripture is this one story about God's plan to redeem people through Jesus. That substitute would be at the forefront uh, from cover to cover. So let's move into any cautions that we may need to be considerate of as we understand this doctrine. Aaron, do you have anything to to speak on? Yeah. Well, I think uh, one of the first 
things that we need to remember here is that this doctrine only makes sense when we hold the reality of Jesus's nature as fully man and fully God. Yeah. Um, firmly and clearly. And so what we need to know here is, is that the atonement, um, Christ acting as our in as a substitute for us could only happen and could only work if these two things were both simultaneously true, that Jesus is fully human and that Jesus is fully God. Because in order to pay the penalty for sin, he had to be a human being. Yeah. It had, it was, it was not sufficient for an animal to do it, to, to be the sacrifice for him. We said, that's why that that's part of why this, the sacrifices in the old Testament had to be repeated over and over and over again. And this might be a good time, Aaron, to just be clear about that. I, I've, you know, I remember thinking about this when I was younger and I know of, of people who still do that. They look at the sacrifices in the old Testament and believe that's how somebody was saved. They were saved by those sacrifices. Not yeah, and they might and they weren't. It, yeah, not it was, really. It was the faith in what those sacrifices portrayed. It was it was their faith that God promised a greater sacrifice would come. So the sacrifices mattered. There was a matter of obedience there. Yes. So you're not totally incorrect to say sacrifices were were vital or essential in salvation, but it's it's the understanding the thought behind them. We know Scripture is clear. Salvation has always been by faith and mm-hmm. faith alone. This is what we see in James. Paul deals with this in Romans, Abraham's salvation and so forth. It's always faith. So it was faith in what those sacrifices pointed toward a greater sacrifice to come. So I, I just think that's important that this idea of substitution, it, it's true of the Old Testament believers. Well, they were saved by substitution. Jesus, who would be their substitute. We are saved by substitution. Jesus, who has been, is our substitute. That's correct. And the other side of this too, and so this is so that's the human side of it. The other side of it, with God being, um, with Jesus needing to be fully God in order to be our substitute, is there's only one who is perfect. The substitute has to be perfect, pure, and spotless. Is the criteria that that the Old Testament constantly uses, and so in in this case, we're referring to moral purity. Yeah. Well, there's no such thing as a morally pure human being because of sin. We yeah. are all sinners by nature and choice. And so and, and so that we are predisposed towards sin. Um, our natural inclination, our hearts are set upon it. It's what we want to do most of all. And so Jesus could not simply have been just a hundred percent a human being. He had to be, again, he had to be a hundred percent human. However, he also, in order to be perfectly morally pure and upright to obey every, um, every jot and tittle of God's commands, um, to the letter, he also had to be God because God is the only one who could fulfill all of God's commands. Yeah. So essential that he is understood as he is fully human, fully God in this concept of, of substitution. Another um, area of, of caution is, and this is where we're going to stick our toe into some theolo- theological controversy and then we're going to pull it out real quick. That sounds good. Um, 
exactly who was Jesus a substitute for? And this is a really sensitive, emotional discussion that, that I don't want, nor do I feel the need, I don't have the desire nor the need to wade into deeply, but we have to at least talk about it briefly, that, that this idea of substitute, there are two different camps, that Jesus was a substitute for all people, 100% of humanity, but not everybody will trust in him to experience the benefit of him being the substitute. And there are others who would say, no, Jesus was the substitute only for those who would trust in him. He has not been the substitute for those who have not trusted in him. It's a theological, it's an important issue. I think we all need to wrestle with, grapple with, and kind of land where we believe it, scripture is clear on. But at the same time, that should not divide us as a people. It is divisive, unfortunately, wrongly. Um, we can love people. We need to love people who have a different opinion on this. It, it's, a, it's a really challenging doctrine to develop. Um, we can work side by side. We can worship side by side with people who differ on this and we need to, but it is an area of caution as we're thinking through this. And as we're studying and coming to an understanding of, of the fullness of scripture, what that substitute was, who that substitute was for, there is difference of opinion there. Yes. And here's the, now here's the one piece of this, uh, of this controversy. Cause you said there are two camps. There's actually a third. And, uh, and this is the, this is the one that we can put our foot down firmly on. Um, there is a wrong belief that, um, which is called universalism. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so universalism would, universalism would say that because of Christ's death, the punishment for all has been entirely removed that there is no that there is no um, sentence of there is no final judgment for them. There is no eternal punishment. There is only the um, the need to realize basically that they were wrong and that Jesus actually did do that did actually take the punishment for them. Um, that's not what Scripture says yeah. anywhere, because the thing that we need to recognize is wherever you fall on in the two orthodox, the two, the spectrum of the two orthodox viewpoints on this is that trust in Christ is required. Yeah. And yeah, so that's, it's not automatic. Um, I remember years ago, they, uh, an evangelism strategy called faith. I don't know. It was before your time as a believer, Aaron. So I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, but faith was, it was an acronym F forgiveness, a available, I impossible T trust H heaven. And then it was a way that you could kind of, I'm surprised I remember that it's a way that you could explain it. But one of the, uh, one of the things that were part of the script, if you were, um, was this, that it's not automatic that, yeah, Jesus died, but salvation is not automatic. You have to trust in him. And so this, that should not be surprising or startling to anybody listening. Uh, we know where, when you get under the hood, if you will, of understanding how the engine of salvation works, which is what we talked about a minute ago, was who was Jesus substitute for all. But that is complex. When you get behind the wheel, though, and you just drive that car, we understand this, that we need to trust in Jesus for salvation. It's not automatic. Not everybody's saved. Right. So, and 
Um, go ahead. Before we move before we move on to anything else, though, one thing I do want to point out as well, and this is less a caution in understanding this doctrine um, in terms of what it says and what it means, but more in terms of understanding its necessity. Um, mm. There, you know, this is where we go into another another. Um, false, (laughs) false doctrine zone. And so there's, there is a line of reasoning that would say that, um, that human beings are not inherently sinful by nature, but just by choice. Hmm. And that's also incorrect. That's Romans. Romans deals with that incredibly heavily. Genesis um, deals with it very strongly in the flood account as well. And we need to recognize that there isn't, it's not, it's not a case of we can, um, we can earn our forgiveness. (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Sorry. You're the one who has to edit. I know. I know. (laughs) Um, so it's not a case that that um, we um, that we have the ability to just um, accept God's forgiveness without or welcome into his his family without um, the recognition that something actually had to happen on God's part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's a really, really important thing. Yes. Yeah, so, so in other words, salvation is not simply God looking past your sins and sweeping them under the carpet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of takes me to one of the differences that this doctrine should make, Aaron, it, that this should remind us that we deserve condemnation, um, that we were wretched sinners and that Christ died for those who were not good at all, of which we were <laughs> one of them. Um, when we think about substitute, if, if we don't understand, if we don't appreciate how sinful we are apart from Christ, um, you do have the risk of the substitute being Christ being perverse in God's economy. You know, if, if we were just a little bit bad and God slaughtered his son for us, that doesn't seem right. Um, it doesn't seem proportionate. When we understand how wretched we are apart from Christ again, um, as unregenerate people, then that really starts to help us understand the need of Christ being a substitute, the beauty of it, the power of it. So in order for us to really start grasping this, uh, this doctrine, this beautiful doctrine, we've got to go down that road of, of remembering, recalling. Some of us have been believers so long, I think it's easy to forget. We, we, we are proud. We, we like to think we're better than we are. Um, and so I think it's really helpful, really important to remember our depravity that that led Christ to the cross. And I think one of the things that we we need to recognize in this, when we talk about, you know, our deserving condemnation, when we talk about, when we use terms like, you know, wretched sinners and uh, Christ dying for the ungodly and people who are not good, we we need to qualify that. What that does not mean is that on a horizontal level, so like in a person-to-person relationship, things that we are incapable of doing good things. Yeah. Um, or that we're not kind and nice people. Um, I know some incredibly 
kind and decent and very loving and humane people who absolutely want nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah, as, as I know, do I. Yeah. And I know some people who are professing believers who <laughs> I have a hard time believing are actually professing believers because of the things they say. And, Why are you looking at me um, like that right now as you, you say You know, that? I was going to save that for later, but... Give me the side eye. Come on. <sighs> Sorry. Sorry, guys. We're bringing it out here. But uh, but what this means is this is... This is um, this is a contextual thing. It's related to our moral standing before God, our, um, what sin has done in us and to us and through us, uh, in the world to, um, offend him, his name and his glory and our purpose. Yeah. And so that's what we're talking about here when we, so I'm glad that you, you referenced the fact that it's like, this is about perspective too. Um, that it's like, we, the, the, the one who is offended by sin most is God. Yeah. And so we can't forget that. Well, and and it, it, it actually helps us understand the flip side of this coin, if you will, that when we look at this doctrine, it helps us to celebrate the forgiveness that we've been given in Christ and our permanent position with God, who we are, our new identity in Christ, that perfect payment has been made. We are completely forgiven. We've talked quite a bit and we can't talk enough about how we also have been given Christ's righteousness. Um, And so we, God sees us as fully forgiven, fully righteous. We stand forgiven, which means that's not going to change. That's the, that's the, that's the truth of our posture forever. And in this, we understand we are identity in Christ and that transaction, that difference from, from condemned wretched sinner to forgiven son of God, child of God is so enormous. It's so vast of a difference and it all hinges on this doctrine Christ being our substitute. That's beautiful. It absolutely is. And I think it bears repeating as well that when we think about the difference that this doctrine makes, and this kind of resolves everything that we've talked about, um, is this doctrine is at the core. It's at the, that it's at the white hot center of the gospel itself, because Jesus did what we can't do. And we are entirely dependent on him for everything. And that is good news. And that's the thing that we need to celebrate and the thing we need to keep celebrating. And regardless of all the other nuances that that come with this, that's what we need to focus on. Definitely. And that's a good word for us to end on. Aaron, thanks for this conversation. It's been enjoyable as always. I hope it has been enjoyable and meaningful for our listeners. I hope uh, we did not wade too far out into some uh, perilous theological waters there uh, midway through. Uh, I think we'll, I think we're okay. We'll find out if we get uh, some emails from from people. Uh, but thank you so much for listening to today's episode of this podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do leave a sincere five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 